From Accord, this is From Vendorship to Partnership, a show where we dive into the realities of scaling B2B startups. Join our host, Ross Rich, this season on The Seller's Journey as he chats with today's top sales leaders about building winning playbooks, scaling teams, and partnering with customers. Hey everyone, welcome back to your favorite sales podcast. This is Ross Rich from Vendorship to Partnership, and we're on season two, The Seller's Journey. We got an awesome guest today, Nick Casale, Director of Sales at uh, one of my favorite sales technology revenue enablement technology platform, Sendoso. Thanks for joining us. Hey Ross, thanks so much for having me. It's uh, great to be here. I've always been a big fan, so this is uh, exciting. Awesome, awesome. Well, maybe before we dive right into the questions, why should some folks out there that are listening, you know, clue into what you have to share? I would love to hear a bit about your backgrounds at Sendoso and, and even previously. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I had an interesting journey to, to where I am today. I uh, was an early sales hire at TalkDesk, was there for about uh, two and a half years, and then went to work for uh, a guy who was actually seated next to me at, at TalkDesk, one of our <laughs> AEs, Chris Rudigrap, who went off yeah. to start a company because he was having a lot of success sending coffee gift cards to his customers. So he somehow talked me into helping him turn coffee gift cards into a, into a real company. So it was the first sales hire five years ago. I've had the opportunity to watch the company grow from actually pre-seed at that time. I think the company valuation was like two and a half million when I joined. Uh, what a journey. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was a, a lot of fun. Um, obviously, unique experience there. And I have seen sort of all the stages of growth there from that up through our Series C last year from SoftBank and held roles across AE as an individual contributor uh, for two years and then leadership for the past three. So seen a lot of the different phases of, of growth here and uh, had a lot of fun doing it. For sure. Well, a lot of experience to tie into some of these questions, especially this first one, both at TalkDesk as well as like you mentioned a few stages in Sendoso. And then I'm sure just through your customers, you've probably seen getting to know them, different stages of their growth. So first question here, what do most people get wrong when it comes to sales at startups? I think the first thing that comes to mind is is not iterating quickly enough and getting married to a specific process or a specific pricing model or specific talk track or a specific story and not being honest with yourself about when something isn't quite working. And a lot of times that happens because it's something that may have worked for you in the past. So one of the hardest things, I think, with scaling sales uh, as, as a company scales is being really honest with yourself about what's continuing to work and what's a valuable mm-hmm. part of that. And, and I think this goes, honestly, for the sales you know, process as well as team culture. But you know, what, what are the things that are worth bringing forward as a core part of what you do, things that are working? And mm-hmm. what are the things that you sort of leave behind? And have an appreciation for for getting you to where you are, but aren't going to serve you for your next phase. And it's a difficult process of understanding what that is. Totally. And maybe tying that into the next question around kind of sales processes, what are some of the things that you think that aren't heavily talked about that are part of that iteration process? Obviously things that, you know, are discussed frequently, changing pricing, maybe the model between sales and CS and when the handoff happens and who owns account, like what are some of the other things that you saw maybe at Sendoso throughout those five years of hey, maybe we should have done this more in terms of iteration or we uniquely iterated on these processes, which led to a lot of our success in terms of scaling up that sales org. Yeah, that's one piece where I think over time, which isn't, I don't think unique to Sendoso, but having to just build more process into it over time. 
Mm. right? And working on sort of the knowledge transfer of the reality that when you're when you're small and you're a handful of sales reps, everyone is sort of in, doing their own process intuitively. Yeah. You know, if you hire yeah. the right people, and then there's that kind of painful process where you try to document that down and create yeah. some sort of adherence to it. And I, and one of the hardest things still is how much wiggle room you leave in the process versus yeah. how much you, you dictate what has to happen. Cause you always, you know, every rep has sort of their superpower and you mm-hmm. want to let them kind of be themselves and, and leverage that. But you also need to kind of have everyone on the same page in terms of, you know, what, what the process is or else you end up with, you know, everyone thinks stage three means something different or your data is crap or who knows what, but that's always a tough balance, right. Between like autonomy and process. Yeah. It's something that, that we think, I think a lot about as we scale our own sales team, but we think a lot about in terms of accord, right. We're giving people you know, trying to help them build out this prescriptive sales process. What's the right level of prescriptiveness? Is it, this is exa- you know, is it a script and this is what you say on all these calls? Is it just, these are the types of calls and meetings you need to have the calls, you know, the deal should take three or four meetings and this is what they look like. That's a really tough question. I'm curious to get your take. I'm guessing it changes over time. You know, what you're going to do for a seed or series A stage company is going to be very different for that C or D or public stage company. What do you think are both the important things to be really prescriptive on? And what are the things that you think people should maybe leave up to the reps? Like you said, I love that, you know, their own superpowers to, to decide. Yeah. So I think one thing that, that's a pretty common mistake here is a lot of companies start out and with even a small, like a small sales team, maybe even one seller, and they build out this six-step sales process. And they try to map that to Salesforce. And then, and you don't really have six steps to your sales process probably at that stage, or, or it's a very idealistic deal yeah. that would maybe go follow that process. And you end up with deals that are just jumping stages or, you know, like skipping from two to close or, you know, all this crap that happens. So, you know, the one thing I think tactically can help solve for that is just start, like actually flip that on its head. And if you're, if you're a small early stage company, you save yourself what is the minimum number of stages that we could reasonably have that'll tell us kind of where a deal is. And then just over time, as you continue to grow, figure out where deals are, are getting sort of stuck, so to speak, or where they're spending too long. Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of look at it and practically, if you have three stages, you know, discovery, <laughs> evaluation, and negotiation, you know, evaluation is obviously going to start to become a little bit of a parking lot. Deals are going to spend <laughs> two weeks there. Yeah, and then you can pretty tactically just look at the data and understand. Well, actually, hey, we have we tend to have two calls happen during this. Yeah, let's break out what those are and, and kind of let your let your process be sort of not put the cart before the horse on it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, if that makes sense. Like how do customers need to go through this evaluation? How do they need to go through this? And then you build the stages around that. Versus, like you said, hey, I've seen other companies. This is the fully built model, and you're trying to kind of shoehorn. Is that what you're kind of saying? Like, then you're trying to build it yeah. the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. And letting your customers tell you what their buying process is for a tool like yours, right? That doesn't mean letting each customer kind of take you on a wild goose chase that has, you know, no consistency. But starting to, you know, if you're hearing the same things over and over and over, maybe let go of some of your preconceived notions about what you think you have to do during your sales process if that's not what customers want to do. 
Totally. I think, yeah, for us, one of the big learnings too, as you know, we started to go up market was actually, I think we assumed and we built this process based on, you know, previous experience or maybe just, oh, these deals feel so much bigger. We're actually going to make them a lot longer. And what we learned mm-hmm. was actually, these are more educated buyers that were up market. They got this stuff actually much faster than some of the earlier stage companies and founders, these sales leaders get it. And they're using mutual plans more often. And it's actually a shorter sales process. But it's more work around enabling the team once it's sold because they have a larger number of end users. So yeah, that stuff was really interesting. I think, you know, we kind of shot ourselves in the foot a bit for a few months trying to chase down these deals and make it too long. And they were, they were dying because, you know, just time kills all deals versus now it's like a two or three call close. But then we're spending much more time on the enablement and these pilots to get them successful. So yeah, I totally hear what you're saying there. Yeah, the other thing that I think, you know, you guys completely map to is just the bigger the company the more they struggle with, you know, one thing that, that we've definitely had our challenges with over time is you scale as much as we have or any company that's gone A to C in a short amount of time, mm-hmm. the knowledge transfer between your reps is incredibly difficult. And being able to sort of synthesize that down and make sure that those best practices are happening across the team as you scale is, is so difficult. And with a big enough company, there's someone on that team, like I'm sure the top performer, top two performers have their own sort of Google sheet that's a sales product. That's yeah. a, you know, mutual action plan. And so it's like, hey, you already, <laughs> you know that that Sarah and Jake are already doing this. Why aren't we thinking about, you know, one of, the, one of your top priorities is having everyone do what they're doing. And you got this one sort of example right here. Whereas a really small company might not even have Sarah and Jake who are experienced enough to do that. You might not have those best practices even, yeah, figured yeah. out. And that's, yeah. that's, it's even hard with a team of three or four folks I find is like, because you're like you said at the beginning, you're trying to iterate on these processes so quickly. And with a small team, you can do that. But how do you both come up with these new things? And then what we talk a lot about is like, you know, how do we get creative around stuff and then make that creative way our new standard and default? It's really hard to do that when you're moving really fast, right? I'm curious to hear maybe some of those best practices that you probably figured out as, you know, the first successful seller there. How do you help that first group of even, you know, three, five, 10 folks understand what you were doing? and give it to them so you can kind of continue to build on that that foundation of learnings. Yeah, for me, it's been really as much as you can boil down what works into frameworks hmm. rather than what a lot of people do with, with training, um, whether it's like, you know, themselves moving into management and trying to train their team how to sell or just trying to get their, you know, new reps to learn from the best reps. They tend to content waterboard them and they'll send like, 40 gong calls or something like that and a bunch of content yeah and you're you're kind of making a lot of assumptions about someone's ability to to do pattern recognition at that point where what you really should do is say hey look here's the framework that we use for how we explain you know our our here's our pitch deck make it your own the key Mm -hmm. thing to note is that we sort of start with the why right so here's why you know sales is broken and needs a new process improvement right so here's what that means and here's kind of how we solve it would be one example. And, and rather than giving them a script or giving them, you know, you can, you can support it with a script, but focusing on the, the why behind what the script yeah. is, is a lot more digestible for people and helps that translation process in their head. Because a lot of times what people say with specific process for training is like, that doesn't sound like me or that's not mm. my natural flow. Yeah. But if you, if you just give them frameworks, it's, it's a lot more, it's easier to internalize. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And also I've, another point that I've heard recently that I really liked around, you know, coaching kind of enabling the team is 
how do you help them better understand the buyer versus giving them all the information? Like we're saying, like versus giving them the script and giving them super prescriptive content, how do you help them get there? Kind of like the framework, but you overlay that with the deep understanding of your customer, right? And then you can kind of have these better conversations, which is what typically I find takes a lot of time for reps to get to is that comfort with, you know, what are the typical questions these people ask? What world do they live in? That's the stuff that you pick up small bits of on every single call, right? Whether you're getting a yes or no on, you're learning about the world that your customer lives in. And then you can have those kind of more, you know, casual conversations where you feel like you're adding value and progress the conversation. It's really hard to do that as a new seller. But maybe a great way of doing that is packaging up some of that stuff and those sound bites and things like how they live and mention those on, on calls as an early, you know, in your first few weeks, you're probably going to feel a lot more comfortable with that persona. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we find difficult too, is like we're selling to CROs and VPs of sales that are a lot further along in their career. And the relationship between our early stage sellers and them is this weird power dynamic, right? So how do you help kind of up-level the team? Probably similar to yourselves, right? You might be talking to CMOs and how do you make sure you can have that level conversation? Because yeah, it's kind of at different levels internally, right? Yeah, and one of the things I'm sure you guys have seen is we sell to, to marketing and sales leaders, so, so yeah. you know, kind of similar. One of the things we've seen is if you don't get that transfer of ownership where they kind of take control of the buy process in parallel with you running the sales process, then you're just kind of chasing, 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 and they lose respect for you pretty quickly. Yeah. But if you, if you, kind, of, if you kind of respect your own time and you're like, hey, here's what we'll do here yeah. now, and here's what we'll do. If you don't do your homework, I'm not going to go do this next part. <laughs> and kind of, you know, <laughs> without explaining it like that or being condescending, making sure that there is that mutual investment of time. That's where I see a lot of junior sellers struggle selling to sales leaders or, you know, really any senior leadership is just they they kind of take one thing they heard in discovery and like chase, 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 instead of having the respect for their own time to transfer that ownership and be clear about what they need from from the other party too. Totally. And this just happened to us end of quarter close, we got sign off on, hey, these are the three things we need to see and do before we feel comfortable to move forward, competitive deal. Then one more thing gets added over email. So it's not even agreed. We're like, oh, all, I want to so badly just give them that thing. But I know as soon as you do that, the whole you know negotiation mutual things off because, hey, we, we had a conversation a week ago. We worked really hard to get this stuff done together. If you kind of give there, then it's not. And that's, yeah, I think it's yep. really tough for earlier stage folks, you're like, oh no, this is the last thing before it closes. No, as soon as that happens, we've broken this trust and, and alignment on uh, on the partnership there, right? Yeah, it, it's scary. I, I still remember one of my first end of quarters, I was at AE at Talk Desk and it was the you know last day of the quarter. And the guy was the guy was like, hey, I'm at dinner. I'll sign it, you know, when I get home. And I, I to me that seems so reasonable. And my VP, my VP was like, no, reply you can docu-sign it from your phone. And that just always stuck out to me because, and I, I see it all the time in reps and it still as a sales year happens every time someone mm-hmm. asks for something and you just have that moment of, I can't risk saying no and having them not do it. They're engaged the then. They just read the phone. They just responded. They're going to check it again right oh, then. Yeah. Yeah. But that no, first, the first time that you draw a line and you like, you respect sort of your own, mm-hmm. your own time and what's been agreed upon. And they actually, respect your pushback. Yeah. yeah. It's such an aha moment. Totally. Totally. And it's funny. I think I find the people that don't respect that are like the worst qualified buyers. Ugh. And sometimes we overreact to that because we don't want to offend anyone, but it's typically the people that get offended aren't the people that are trying to solve this thing. And that's why they're annoyed by it. 
if they really cared about the partnership and solving this problem with you, it wouldn't bother them, right? So, yeah, well, and those are the, those are the deals that reps get emotionally attached to, and they're just the forever pushes. Is yeah, that you the, see on the you, board committed every uh, month? We're gonna get it's done. Always, the AE always has a great relationship, right? Oh, they love it. No, they love it. They love it. Super excited about it. Just couldn't get it done because it's just like super happy, loves it, but it ends up in excuse land. Totally, totally. So relatable, man. Well, uh, to wrap things up here, we're going to do our, our final lightning round, which is going to be one word, one sentence answers to a few of these questions. Are you ready, Nick? All right, let's do it. Okay, first one, most common misconception about sales. That it's all about the money. Favorite app or piece of software as a sales leader, and you can't say Sendoso. <laughs> uh, I'm a big Scratchpad fan. Awesome. Yeah, I love them. Aspirational sales team or manager to build yours after. Cliche, but I, you know, Salesforce is is such a such an aspiration. When I hear aspirational sales team, that's that's the first thing that comes to mind. Totally. Most helpful work related book or resource that you've consumed. Start with Why by Simon Sinek. And last, hardest part of scaling sales at an early stage startup. Knowledge transfer. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, man. Well, this is uh, insightful. I got a few notes that I jotted down for some of our stuff for next quarter. And as we start to scale again, that, that knowledge transfer you mentioned. But uh, appreciate you taking the time, Nick, and sharing your, your hard-earned learnings from TalkDesk and Sendoso with the, the community here. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. Thanks for having me. Awesome. If folks want to get in touch, what's the best way, Nick? LinkedIn or email or uh, Nick at Sendoso.com. LinkedIn is, you know, I think I've been saying that for so long that I'm on every cold email <laughs> list because I get hammered. But yeah, <laughs> sure, go for it. Nick at Sendoso.com or, or LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Nick. Take it easy. All right. Thanks, Ross. You're listening to Accords from Vendorship to Partnership. For more sales and startup insights like this, please be sure to subscribe here or at inaccord.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening.